And I'll just level with you, as I studied this week, my plan was to walk through this entire passage that is known as the Lord's Prayer. But as I began to study, God really just kind of did a work in my heart, and I couldn't really get past this first phrase. So we're going to kind of take our time walking through this over the next few weeks. And I'm excited about what God's going to do as we kind of develop a framework for prayer. So today we have just kind of a long introduction to the Lord's Prayer, and then we'll kind of take it line by line here for the next few weeks. So what we're going to do is read this text and then we're going to pray and ask the Lord to help us understand a passage about prayer. If you're going to talk about prayer, it's a good idea to pray about it, right? So we're going to try that. So let's read here from Luke's gospel, starting in verse one of Luke 11. The word of God says this, now Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Will you pray with me? Lord, as we approach your word, we believe that it is perfect God, we believe that your word contains all the truth that we need to live a godly life. So, Lord, we believe your word, and we believe that when we open it and study it together that you speak to us. So, Lord, we are here, and we submit our lives to your word. Would you teach us today to pray? Just as your disciples asked, Lord, we are here with hearts that are saying, Lord, teach me to pray. Thank you for what you're going to do in this time. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, prayer is one of the most mysterious aspects of the Christian life. I think it's important to level with you and say that from the onset, because some of you may think you're the only one who struggles with this. Some of you may think that you're the only one that, man, it seems like everybody around me has this whole prayer thing down, but I struggle with it. But you need to understand that prayer is a mysterious thing. It is a difficult thing. I've, I've defined prayer in a very simple way over the years as simply this. Prayer is communicating with God. Now, that sounds very simple, but isn't that pretty astounding in that statement? So communicating with God. I was telling the first service, if my phone rang right now, and it was somebody who said, yeah, uh, I have the White House and the president wants to talk to you. And I don't care what your politics are, if it's this president or a past president, it doesn't really matter. But I would probably be pretty nervous in that moment. I'd be like, uh, yeah, yes, Mr. President, what's going on? And they're like, why are you using that voice? I don't even know. I'm just nervous. Like, I would be freaking out. But imagine with me having a conversation with the Lord of all creation, the creator of the heavens and the earth. That is astounding to think about. Yet that's what we believe is happening when we pray. That we are communicating with God. It's astounding to stop and think about. There's great power in prayer. It's a phrase that you've probably used, you've probably heard if you have a church background. But here's the crazy thing. I think a lot of us say that and even believe that. But my question for you is, have you experienced that today? Is that your experience right now? Are you experiencing his power and presence on a regular basis as you pray? I don't know that a lot of people do. When I ask people, a lot of times, very few people that I know would say, I'm content with my prayer life the way it is right now. Why is that? I think it's because prayer is hard. 
Prayer is difficult. It's mysterious. We don't always see results, and we go looking for answers. I know for me, I'm, I'm a reader and a seeker and a learner, so I'm all about trying to figure it out. And I've read a ton of books on prayer. I've done a lot of scripture study on prayer and what prayer is. And I'll just tell you that in the midst of trying to figure all of that out, What I've discovered is that there's not a lot of information about prayer, even in the Bible. Rather than being a lot of information about prayer, what we do find is a lot of invitation to pray. So there's not a lot of information, but there is a constant invitation to bring our prayers to the throne. There's a lot of inspiration as well. Most of the books are more about inspiring us to become a people of prayer. So if you're like me and you've found yourself from time to time a little disappointed with the information you stumble across when it comes to prayer, then I'm hoping this series will be helpful for you because I believe that Jesus is inviting us to learn some things about prayer and develop a framework here. This passage is actually as close as we get to a how-to guide for prayer in the scriptures. And let's be honest, there's not a lot here. Luke paints the scene for us. The disciples have been walking with Jesus. If you have been a regular here at Crossroad, you know that we have been going through the Gospel of Luke for several months. We've seen Jesus heal people, raise people from the dead, do all kinds of crazy and miraculous things. Yet not once has Luke recorded the disciples saying, how'd you do that? Like, that's crazy. You just healed somebody. How'd you do that? No, we don't see that. But this is the first time we have recorded that when Jesus is done praying, they say, teach us to do that. Why would they do that? I think it's because they had seen this intimate connection that Jesus had with his heavenly father through prayer. And when he's done praying, finally, one of the disciples gets the courage to ask the question they're all thinking. You ever experienced that where only one person is bold enough to actually ask? I was on an airplane uh, this week flying down to watch the 2017 world champion Houston Astros. That's all I got. I got to go back a couple years. But I was flying down to watch the World Series. It was an awesome experience. But I don't like to travel. Um, I don't know if you know this. I'm a big guy, and airplanes are small, okay? So I got on the airplane and, you know, like bumped my head like four or five times and got into my seat and somehow, some way, by the grace of God, was able to get the seat belt buckled. And I thought, you know, if this plane goes down, they're never getting my body out of here. But that's all right. So I'm getting into the plane, and, you know, I'm a little nervous. I don't fly a whole lot, so they, uh, you know, start up the plane, crank the plane. Jeff, you got a pilot here. I don't know. Is that what it works? It's a key, you know? Is it push start? I don't know. But they start the plane, and this loud noise is happening right beside me. And, I mean, it's a loud, distracting, kind of crazy noise. And in the moment as it's making this ridiculous noise, I'm thinking to myself, I'm probably going to die. This is it. Lord, I should call my family, you know, and we haven't even taken off yet. We're still sitting there on the runway. I'm drinking coffee, trying to pretend everything's okay. When somebody walked by and the guy across from me said, ma'am, what's that noise? And she said, oh, it's just common. And kind of explained it. And I was like, oh, she walked off. And I looked over and I'm, kid you not, don't know the guy from anybody. And said, thank you for asking that question. Because I wasn't going to ask because I didn't want to be that guy. Yet I was dying to know. I feel like the disciples are kind of in this situation. They've seen Jesus model this prayer life. And one of them finally is bold enough to say, teach us to do that. Tell us how we can have this same connection to the Father. 
They'd seen how important prayer was to his life and ministry. I'm not going to go through this exercise again. Some of you may remember several months ago, we went verse by verse through the Gospels of all the passages where Jesus intentionally withdraws to go be by himself and pray. The crowds are saying, hey, where are you, Jesus? Where are you? We can't find you, Jesus. And he, the crowds are looking for you. And he goes, I've got to go pray. It said Jesus would withdraw to desolate places to pray. They saw how important prayer was to the life and ministry of Jesus. This wasn't just some religious obligation, but rather this was a lifeline for Jesus. So in this moment when he's done praying, they say, teach us to pray. By the way, what a great place to start our series on prayer today. By us just having a heart that says, Lord, teach me to pray. If we're going to learn to pray, I think it starts there with having a heart that says, Lord, I need your help. I'm not going to be able to figure this out on my own. Teach me to pray. I believe that's a prayer he answers. But here's what I love. How does Jesus answer this prayer? Imagine with me that you're attending a prayer conference. And they have those, you know, so you're going to this place and I'm going to learn how to pray. And the keynote speaker shows up and walks out for the epic pinnacle moment presentation And he gives you 36 words and says, thanks, and walks off. I'm probably leaving. I'm probably like, I want my money back. I can't believe what in the world is happening. But that's what Jesus does. A very, very, very slow reading of this would take less than two minutes. And this is the only answer that he gives them. But in this prayer, I think we see some incredible truths that are going to help us develop a framework of prayer. But the first thing we need to see is this. We learn to pray by praying. It's real simple, but you need to hear that. We learn to pray by praying. Jesus didn't go into some big, long theological explanation. He didn't say, all right, this is going to take a few days. I'm going to break it into a series of lectures for you guys. No. He said, when they said, teach us to pray, what did he say? All right, let's pray. And then he begins to pray. I'm convinced today that this invitation to prayer is critical for us. You don't have to know all the right words. You don't have to have all the little phrases down. You don't have to speak in King James language to pray. Some of you learn to pray that way, so I'm not bashing that if that's how you pray. But what I'm saying is that we learn to pray by simply praying. Prayer becomes powerful when we practice it. And when I say practice it, I literally mean we just begin to pray. The school of prayer is not found in the academic halls of today's seminaries and Bible colleges. The school of prayer is not found in prayer Bible studies and prayer books and resources. All of those things can and are good things. But the school of prayer is actually in your own prayer closet. If we're going to become people of prayer, the reality is, as simple as this is, we just got to start praying. So Jesus, in response to their request to teach them to pray, he says, all right, let's pray. And if you have a church background, you're familiar with this text as the Lord's Prayer. We call it the model prayer. And in Matthew's gospel in the Sermon on the Mount, he's used this same framework. And now here, it's a little different. In fact, some of you, as we read through it, were like, hey, hey, whoa, whoa, wait a second. He's leaving some stuff out of the Lord's Prayer. 
Well, this is actually a different telling of that same prayer. So this is actually interesting to me. I think this was two separate times. If you remember, Luke took us through the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain, and it wasn't included there. I believe this is a different instance, but this is huge. So Jesus, not only once, but twice, lays out this basic framework for prayer. Can I just tell you, if Jesus says something once, we ought to lean in and listen close. Amen? Amen. I'm going to answer for you. It's important we all agree on that, right? (laughs) But if Jesus said it twice... And gave the same response. Like I almost imagine, you know, the, the disciples have heard this Lord's Prayer, I'm sure, by this point. They had been through the Sermon on the Mount. Yet here they are saying, teach us to pray. And I bet they're hoping for something more. Yet he's like, guys, we've already been over this. Remember? Let's pray again. And takes them through this same model prayer. So if Jesus gave us this framework twice, I certainly think it's worth us taking a few weeks to slow down and walk through this together, don't you? I'm excited about what God's going to do. So that was a very long introduction to this prayer, and now we're going to get to the first part of this prayer. Y'all still with me today? Everybody doing good? I told you, you're not allowed to go to sleep. I'm just, I'm bitter if you do, all right? Again, not because I'm mad you sleeping through my sermon, I just want to be sleeping too, okay? So, uh... (laughs) <laughs> you hear if mom ain't happy, nobody's happy. Apparently today if the preacher ain't happy, nobody's happy, all right? You're all staying awake. If you're visiting with us, <laughs> uh, we are glad you're here. And we're glad to be opening the word of God together. So let's start with this very initial phrase. Father, hallowed be your name. It makes sense if we're going to talk about prayer that we need to know who we're praying to. Or if you're a grammar Nazi, we need to know who it is that we're addressing our prayers. Or, you know, I just don't want it to end with a preposition if that bothers you. But you need to know today that prayer is not some random throwing out our thoughts and prayers into the cosmos and hoping that there's somebody up there or out there that will hear and answer and respond. A lot of people, they think that's what prayer is. There's the idea of thoughts and prayers. You know, we're going to throw them out there and hopefully some good vibes will come your way. But the reality is for the Christian life, and this is based upon the scripture, if it's not based upon the scripture, then it's not really the Christian idea of prayer. But the biblical sense of prayer is that when we pray, we are addressing and praying to a holy God. Jesus said, hallowed be your name. That that word hallowed means holy. Holy is your name. When it says his name, it's not literally just talking about his name, but it's talking about his identity, the essence of God's character. Everything about our God is holy. This is what I want us to catch again today. We touched on this last week. I want us to see the idea of the holiness of God and the nearness of God. We, we brought this up last week, and I'll just be honest, I'm not over it yet. I've been asking God to press this truth into our hearts and our souls. We serve a God who is so high above us, so far beyond us. He is beyond our ways, our thoughts. He is the one who the Bible says created the world and everything in it, and right now at this moment, He spoke you and this entire world into creation, and right now that same word is holding you and I and the entire universe together at this very moment. He is all-powerful. He is almighty. He is all-present. He is 
God Almighty above everything you could even think of. Let me just use a theological word for you here, transcendent. Transcendent. That means that the biggest thoughts and things you can think, I'm starting to sound like Dr. Seuss up here, but the biggest thoughts you can imagine, God is higher and greater than that. We cannot even fathom his wisdom, his might, his strength. He is transcendent. This amazing, incomparable God, though, this transcendent God, this is the amazing thing, is also a personal God. He comes near to us, and this is the beauty of the opening line of the Lord's Prayer. We see both the holiness of God and the nearness of God on full display. So what I want us to do today is talk about those two aspects of God and how they go together and how prayer is really what bridges this gap for us. So let's start by talking about the holiness of God. The holiness of God. We use that word holy a lot in the church. In fact, today we were declaring that to the Lord. Holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. You are high above anything and everything we can imagine or think. He is a holy God. That word holy is often defined by us in the church as set apart. I think that's a really good, simple, easy definition to remember, but here at Crossroad, we try to remind ourselves that he's not just set apart, but he is set apart specifically in the areas of justice and righteousness. God is always just, and he is always right. He's always just, and he is always right. We have a holy God who has revealed his holiness through his character from the very beginning of time. Through his creation, through his people, through his word, through Jesus, all through from the very beginning of creation, God reveals his holiness. Always. But part of God's holiness is being always just and always right means that a just and righteous God must punish sin. The reality is, if he is a just God, then he must punish sin. If he is a righteous God, he must punish unrighteousness. This is where it causes a problem for you and I, right? Because God is holy. Friends, I don't know if anybody would claim this today, but I'm just going to burst your bubble. You and I are not holy. God is holy, you and I are not. The Bible says that every single one of us has sinned, and because we have sinned, we've fallen short of the glory of God. So God is holy, he's always right, he's always just, and you and I are not holy. We have sinned, and because of that, God's holiness actually becomes a problem for humanity. We are separated from a holy God because of our sin. But this is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ brings a holy God near to his people. The gospel brings a holy God near to his people. How does that happen? The good news of the gospel is that God loved you and me enough that even though we were rebels against him, even though we said my way is better, I'm going to live my life, I'm going to do what I think is best, even though we were sinners, God loved us enough that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Jesus came to this earth and he lived a perfect life. He did what we could never do for ourselves. 
Yet as he hung on the cross, the Bible says that God took the punishment you and I deserve, his righteous and just wrath, and poured it out upon Christ. Christ absorbed the wrath of God that you and I deserve because of our sin. And Jesus died on that cross, but guess what? Three days later, he rose again. And we celebrate the fact that he rose again, because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we're wasting our time, y'all. We ought to be out playing golf or doing something like that. Some of you may be live streaming while you play golf right now. I'm praying for you, all right? I did that in the first service, and we weren't even live streaming. So I just like talking to random people that weren't even there. So good times. He rose from the dead, and because he rose from the dead, here's what happens. When we call on Christ and we ask him to be our Savior and our Lord, in that very moment, our sins are forgiven, but not only are our sins forgiven, but we are made perfect and holy through the resurrected Christ. We become one with him. So when God looks at us, he doesn't see our injustice. When he looks at us, he doesn't see our unrighteousness, but instead he sees us as perfect and holy because when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel. So when you and I become a holy people through the power of the gospel... Then all of a sudden, this transcendent God, this holy God who is so far beyond us, becomes a God that is very near us. Friends, you and I were created for nearness to God. We were created to have fellowship with God. And that's why when we don't know Jesus, that's before you came to know Christ, and maybe some of you today don't know Christ, we have that longing, we have that desire, because we know something is not right. When Jesus saves us, we begin to experience what God actually created us to be. We have that relationship with him. The gospel brings a holy God near to his people. Let's talk for a minute about the nearness of of God. Jesus says, pray like this, say this, and then he utters a word that I think should be the most astounding word in all of scripture. He says, Father, Father. Now for Jesus to call God Father may not be that shocking of a thing for us, but what did he just say? Hey guys, hey y'all, he didn't say y'all, but we're going with it, Texas version. Pray this, Father. Call God Father. This is the same word that, that comes from the familiar, familiar term. To just say dad. Draw near to him in such a way that he becomes like your dad. Now, now we need to talk for a second because in our culture today, I'm well aware that in a fallen world, many of you have had bad experiences or perhaps even no experiences with your earthly fathers. And unfortunately, I think we have this bad tendency to look from man to God for our views instead of looking from God to man. And here's how that works out. So our earthly father, we look at our earthly father and say, my earthly father's like this, so God must be like this. But that's never God's intention for us to do. Instead, it's backward. We should be looking from God to man. Our heavenly father is like this, so our earthly father should be like this. But here's what you need to know. If you uh, are a dad in here, or if you have had a father in here, you need to hear this. Our earthly fathers will always disappoint us. 
always. Even the best dad in the world, if you could just imagine this is the perfect dad, they will disappoint you. But here's the thing, even the very best things, even the good things, if you had a a great father and you can point to that, here's what you need to know. That is only a shadow or a glimpse of how great our heavenly father is. We need to know that God is our heavenly father who loves us. Any greatness or goodness in our earthly fathers serves only as a shadow of how great and loving he is. This truth from Jesus' mouth ought to astound us today. The creator of the universe, almighty God, says, call me dad. Isn't that incredible? Paul marveled at this in Romans 8, and we have it here on the screen for you. He said, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Church, listen to me. When we give our lives to Christ, when we call out to him and make him our Savior, our Lord, in that moment, we are adopted into the family of God. And it is a full adoption. It's not like God looks at us and says, hey, you're kind of like a son to me. You're kind of like a daughter to me. He says, no, you have a full inheritance. You are an equal heir with Christ. You are my son, you are my daughter, I love you, and I knew you before the foundations of the world, and I loved you, and I had a great purpose for your life. That's the God that we have. That's the kind of love that our Father has for us. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And these next four words are so important. In fact, in some of the older translations, you're not going to see that phrase because they found it later in some of the older Greek manuscripts that has proved to be very reliable. That's a pretty great find, isn't it? Because it says you're called children of God, and so we are. It's not like I just go by son of the most living God. I am a son of the living God. Isn't that incredible to think about today? Are you tracking with the craziness of this today? Like this is blowing my mind, and I know I'm sounding like a crazier person the longer I preach. I told you I'm tired. But this is astounding to me that this God who is so much bigger than anything we could think or imagine has actually come near to us through the work of Jesus on the cross. That he's not just out there, but the Bible says this, the fullness of God dwells in Jesus, and the fullness of Jesus dwells in you because of the Holy Spirit. This transcendent God is not out there. He is in you if you are a Christ follower. Our lives ought to look different, (laughs) y'all. It's incredible to think about. So first things first, do you know God like that today? Do you have a real relationship with a real and living God? Does the fullness of God dwell in you today? Have you received the free gift of salvation because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection? 
If not, we want to talk to you about that today. Do not leave this place without talking to us. Your adoption has been paid in full, signed, sealed, and delivered by Jesus Christ on Calvary. Some of you may be thinking, well, this is a really good salvation message, but what does this have to do with prayer? He hadn't hadn't even hardly talked about prayer. Here's the answer. It has everything to do with prayer. Everything. If this holy, all-powerful God is your dad, if this all-powerful God is your father, then it changes the way that we approach him, doesn't it? We don't have to worry about making sure we get everything right and making sure we nail all the ins and outs of it. We don't have to worry about that. He wants to hear our hearts. I've got a three-year-old, and she is learning to talk. And and when I say learning, she talks, talks, and talks. I can say that. She was here in the first service. I really softened it. But she's got a few words that she still really struggles with, okay? A few sounds. She can't do L's very well. It becomes wise. Super cute to hear her talk about it, right? You know, she has to climb a yadder, you know? Like, she, it's cute, y'all. It's cute. But we're trying to work with her because it won't be cute when she's 10. You know what I'm saying, right? <laughs> but, but here's the thing. When she's talking to her dad, I, I don't say to her, don't you say another word till you can say it right. You hear me? No. When that girl crawls up in my lap and wants to have a conversation with me. Can I just tell you something? It warms my heart to hear my little girl talk to me. I love to hear her voice. I love to hear her heart. I love to hear the thoughts in her brain. And listen to me, y'all. This is what really just impacted me as I was thinking about this message. That's only a shadow of a, or a glimpse I'm, a, I'm not a great dad. <laughs> I'll just tell you that right now. But we have a good father who longs to hear the voice of his children, who loves to hear our voice, who loves to hear our hearts. And he's not looking at us and saying, man, I really wish you'd do it right. No, he wants to hear our hearts. He wants to hear our thoughts. He wants to have that type of relationship with us. This holy and amazing God has given me access to him. That's an important word, by the way, access. Think about this. There are times during the work week that I'm kind of hard to get a hold of. The longer I've been here serving on staff, I've realized that if I'm going to be able to preach well, I've got to set off some blocks of time to study the Word. So there are a few times a week that my staff knows I go into what I call monk mode, right? Where I'm hiding out, I shut the door to my office, I even slide a thing over the window, and I mean, I'm serious for a few hours, spending some time in prayer and study the Word. And they know, like, if you were to come by at that time or call and need to talk to me, there's a good chance that unless it's an emergency, they're going to say, hey, Hey, could you come back this afternoon? Hey, could, you, could he call you back? Because that time is, is scheduled, and, it, and again, it's pretty sacred for me. But there are times where somebody in the staff has to talk to me. So sometimes it's Pastor Bob, and there's kind of a, hey, man, I know you're busy. I know you got a lot going on, but real quick, i got to do this. Or sometimes it's Miss Linda from the office, and it's kind of a timid knock, like, hey, I'm really sorry, but I just got to real quick, can we talk? 
But can I just tell you something? There's a, a few kids around this church, my kids, who do not, it's not Pastor Rusty to them, it's Daddy. So they come busting into that door, breakneck speed, the door flies open. They come running in saying, Daddy, what's going on? You know that's true because some of you have been in my office meeting with me when that happens, right? And when they do it, I say, you better get out of here. No, I don't do that. Some of you are like, wow, I really pray for this dude. <laughs> No, I said, come see me. Come give me a hug. I said, I'm sorry, I'll be right back with you in a minute. But this girl came to sell me high. I gave her a hug and I talked to them because I want to see them. They have access and they know it. Friends, this blows my mind to think about today. Because of Jesus Christ, we have been given access to the throne room of God. We don't have to approach timidly today. Some of your prayers sound like the, hey, uh, you know, first service I said it was like a junior high boy asking a girl out. Hey, if you're not too busy, I mean, but if you're busy, I totally get it. That's fine. You know, like, uh, you know, maybe we could go get some coffee sometime. Oh, you don't like coffee? I don't like coffee either. I don't even know why I said coffee. But yeah, all right. Looking around, trying to make sure I'm not speaking to anybody's life here, all right? But you know what this truth tells us today? That even if that's your prayer life today, God still delights in hearing it. If you're timid today, he delights in hearing that. If you're scared, he delights in hearing your voice. Isn't that beautiful? He's given us access to the throne. Let's look at Hebrews 4, 16 here on the screen. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have a holy God who says, call me Father. I am here. You can share your heart with me. You're not going to mess this up, church. The invitation for us first is if you don't know Jesus, you need to know Jesus today. But if you do know Jesus, it's time for us to boldly draw near to God. To boldly draw near to him. Come with your worries, come with your fears, come with your anxiety, come with your confidence, whatever you got today, but bring it to him. How, do I know, how can I say that with such confidence today? Well, number one, because of the gospel and this entire message you just heard. But number two, we've got this prayer book in the middle of our Bible called Psalms. Have you read it lately? That book is wild. Like one, one of them is, there's just a book of prayers by different guys. And one of them is like, Lord, you're so awesome. You're my shepherd. You're leading me beside the pool and the green pastures. And even when things are bad, I love you. It's so awesome, God. And then the next one's like, kill that guy already, Lord. That's in the Bible, y'all. <laughs> by the way, I don't recommend praying that way, okay? But, but here's what I do know. That when we bring our heart to God and we pray to him, he begins to shape our hearts. You want to learn to pray today? Boldly draw near to God and start praying. I want to keep going, but I'm going to end up preaching next week's message, so I think I'm going to land the plane here, all right? But here's the thing. God wants to hear from us. But if you don't know Jesus, he is a holy God, and you're still separated from him. If you don't know Jesus, I want you to come talk to one of our pastors during this time of response. I want you to talk to us about what it means to follow Jesus and know Jesus. But if you know Jesus, can I tell you what I want us to do even right now during this hymn of response and throughout this day? Some of us need to have a conversation with our heavenly dad.
Some of us need to boldly draw near to the Lord today. Let's do that right now. Would you pray with me? Lord, teach us to pray. God, you have shown us so many things, even just in this one message, and and I'm excited about what you're gonna teach us in the weeks ahead. God, my prayer right now, just my heart is heavy for those in here who may not know you today. Lord, I, I pray that today people who do not have you as a heavenly father would, would be brought into, that you would adopt sons and daughters in this place today, that you would bring people to your kingdom's work. But God, I pray for my friends in here who are like me. We said earlier that I, I don't really hardly know anyone who's content with their prayer life. Lord, I, I pray that you would let that be a holy discontent that would push us into your heart. Lord, that we would today start having conversations with you, that we would bring our hearts to you. And Lord, when we do that, we know you'll change us. And I pray that we would boldly draw near in these days and that because of that, you would do an incredible work in and through your people.